Welcome, and thank you for listening to the New Day Podcast. We are located in South Kansas City, proclaiming the good news of God's grace to our region and abroad. If you'd like more information, please visit our website, newdaykc.org. been so good to have them here in a, a time of refreshing. They're from Phoenix, so that's why I was teasing about that, for those of you who don't know. Uh, you know, I could, I could go on and on regarding John. He's an author. He's co-authored books, uh, authored his own books, a uh, brilliant writer, wonderful speaker. Um, the best thing that about this whole weekend for me is, you know, I've, uh, I've kind of opened my soul about this before. I think I had a bromance going there for a while, you know, and, and we instant message, and, you know, in his kindness, he would write that, oh, okay, Lloyd, whoever you are. Uh, but, but really what, what it's been is a deep, a deep friendship that it's, uh, it feels like it, it's one of those that you go back, oh, I feel like I've known you since I was a little boy, and I think a lot like you. You want to go fishing? He said, I don't fish, I golf. I said, that's okay, we can break that curse. (laughs) One of my friends said, tie a line on the end of that, you know, whatever the nine iron is or two iron, I don't know. And you do really well. But uh, John's going to come up and share his heart this morning. Stacy, would you stand just so everybody, I know that's embarrassing and everything. But turn around so you can see how lucky, how fortunate John is, and uh, and we've just had a good time together. And John's going to take his liberty this morning and just share with us. And you just go for it. Thank you, brother. And we love you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Lloyd. Thank you for the worship, you guys. That was life-giving. Uh, so. Often I am invited to to speak in churches um, that are really unhealthy and the pastor is um, enduring that I am there. His subordinates have asked for me to be there and I just want to, during the message, say, everyone, run! This is not good. When the message is over, just run and don't look back, or you will become salt. Um, and, and the joy I have to say to you here in this community is this is a genuine, vulnerable, authentic community. And I don't know many of them. With all my travels, I don't know many of them yet. We're starting to find each other. This is one of them. I I said in the Sunday school class before, I one time made the statement about my own church. I I asked people to raise their hands and tell tell me when they became safe, when they knew that they were safe at Open Door. And, And I said, raise your hands if you don't feel safe. 
I don't know why I did that. That was just so unwise. But, uh, but, uh, but nobody raised their hands. And I said, okay, so, so maybe in six months. Did it take six months to feel safe? And nobody raised their hands. And, and I said, two months? Um, nobody raised their hands. A, a month? And then I got down to five minutes. And everybody raised their hands. There is something palpable and tangible that someone feels when they walk into a room where there is, where the leaders and those who are part of it have chosen to make commitments of love. And I feel it here. I just want you to hear that. I am so blessed to be here. I'm so blessed that I don't secretly have to go up to people and go, get out of here. So thank you, thank you for having us. It has been an absolute delight. And I'm going to have a heavy message, so it's time to read nonsensical stories from this book. <laughs> I love this book. I love getting read, to read out of it. I'm sorry it is sold out. Um, but if you ask for it, I will walk to your house and sign a copy wherever you live. And that's not true at all. <laughs> Uh, this book is kind of trying to capture grace and and what 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 God may have been saying to me in those times before I knew him. So this is from 1962, when gun smoke ruled the land. <laughs> Thank you, old people. Thank you. Our principal at Baldy View Elementary walks into my fourth grade class like she's about to announce one of our students has landed on the moon. She calls Susan Sato up front. Students, several weeks ago, Susan turned this corridor into the office. She found it on the playground and wanted to make sure it got to the person who lost it. We waited to see if anyone would come looking for it and today, I return this quarter to you, Susan, with great appreciation for your honesty. And the whole room applauded like she had been awarded the Medal of Distinguished Service. She was like a hero at our school for the next few weeks. Kids would actually ask to see the famous quarter. <laughs> this will help you know me. That evening, I took a $5 bill from my mom's wallet. <laughs> I didn't think she'd notice, and I'd have it back to her soon enough, along with some world-class praise and adoration for her son. So, next morning, I turned in the bill to the office. I found this out on the playground. I was going to take it home, but I thought someone might miss it if it was theirs. The lady at the front desk was not impressed. She appeared inconvenienced. Wait, I'm thinking, where's the principal? I wanted to ask for the money back and come back at a more strategic time. I, I said, well, how long before someone, uh, you know if someone claims it? She was vague. If the principal comes to your class, you'll know. Okay, so you'll be sure to keep it safe and stuff, um, you know, in case someone wanted to claim it. She shrugged more than nodded. And I waited 
Now I waited. And I waited. Every day for five weeks, I prepared myself for the principal's arrival to my classroom. Imagine if a quarter got such a response what $5 would get. Uh, the principal never came. Finally, I went into the office and asked, Look, so I turned in a $5 bill a while ago. I was just wondering when the principal will be coming to our class. The same lady at the front desk looked at me coldly. Oh, yeah, someone claimed that. Thanks. <laughs> I was devastated. I wanted to yell out, hey, lady, that was my money. <laughs> the only person who could claim it to be lost was me. And the only person who knew about it was you. You took my money, you old hag. <laughs> but I knew she had me. If she told the principal I brought in my own money to get it back and be rewarded for it, I would be in big trouble. I walked backward out of the office, glaring at her. She held eye contact with a forced smile that said, I've already spent your money, a little chump. <laughs> Two lessons emerged from the experience. First, I realized adults and roles of authority do not always have your best interests at heart. And I freshly discovered the lengths that I would go to be adored and praised. I never told my mom. I only learned to bury deeper the truth of what I was capable of doing. And I imagined Jesus saying to that little boy who had not yet discovered him, so John, I know what happens from here. You will want to dig yourself deeper into shame. You stole money from your mom and then lost what belonged to her to a dishonest person. You took, you took from your parents so you could get back from your friends. I get it. I get it. I watched it. But this is not the whole story. See, I've built into you a longing to have your life count, to be affirmed for giving away what I've given you. You just don't know how to do it yet. In your immaturity, you look like you look for a, a quick way to fill that longing. You'll walk down tens of dozens of blind alleys before you are convinced that none of these false attempts will give you what you're looking for. Even if the principal had given you the money, it wouldn't have paid off. See, I've built life that way. You can get everything climbing to the top of the heap, but I will always be the only one who can couple the experience with joy. Now, I'm going to direct your parents to buy a few acres of land in several years, which will more than compensate for what you lost. It wouldn't hurt for you to voluntarily do something around the house. It might make you feel better until you understand how forgiveness and repentance works. I do have to say, um, you had a very creative plan. <laughs> Some kids might think to do it, but you actually tried it. It was terribly flawed. But had that front desk lady been honest, you might have pulled it off. Now listen, kid, nothing's changed between this, between you and I. I saw this one coming for a long time. Amen. Amen. Well, this message today... Um, I'm giving to you and uh, with fear and trepidation. It's uh, not a message I usually give, but as Lloyd and I were talking, 
he said, there's a lot of people in this community who are hurting. And so I decided to give this message. Um, first, um, when it comes to suffering, I sort of know what I'm talking about, but I don't really know what I'm talking about. I don't think that anybody does. And so whatever I say, really custom, uh, customize it to yourself. Because I've had my own journey. The last eight years have been, uh, I, I first, uh, my daughter had a divorce, an affair, and within a year, my body shut down. It just froze up, and I got this shuddering that wouldn't stop. I, it was hard for me to go publicly and speak because I couldn't get words out. And then my feet started hurting. And I was a wreck. For the last eight years, it's interesting, when you suffer, you start listening to different speakers and authors. No longer will platitudes do. Your preaching changes. The music that you listen to changes. So I pray that I'm a gift to you today as I try to unpack some of um, how, how grace invades suffering. At first, I'll just get out some facts and truths, and then I hope at some point you go, really, God? You are that to me in this situation? A passage that's becoming uh, endlessly important. You don't have to turn there. Whenever a preacher tells you that, then you know you're just going to be lied to. Because um, he can say anything. Then Ulysses danced with the otters. <laughs> make stuff up. Therefore, for what I'm about to tell you, that for this reason, we don't have to lose heart. No matter where we are, no matter who we are. Though our outer man's decaying, our inner man is being renewed every single day while we sleep, while we're awake. Our inner man is being transformed and renewed even when you don't want it to be. Even when you are angry at God. He says, yeah, well, I'm still working. For momentary light affliction so interesting. He knows it's not light affliction. He knows it's horrid to us. But for comparison's sake, he has to say it. For momentary light affliction is producing in us an eternal weight of glory. It is so far beyond comparison. Can you imagine a world where you can't compare because something so wonderful beyond anything you ever imagined that you it's not even in the realm to be compared with the worst that's happened to you on this earth. That day is coming in about an hour and a half for all of us, all of you, not in gradation, but in complete glory. And you will, at the wedding feast of the Lamb, you will come over to me and you will say, you were right. And I will say, don't bother me, I'm eating pie. Because <laughs> there will be endless pie, all the pie that I want. 
I, and it, I, I get thinner and more svelte the more I eat of it. And then I go over to Mexican food. Same thing happens there. He says, but we, um, we don't lose heart because we are looking at that, at that picture. The things, not that are seen, because I know what's seen. This fumbling man who wants to climb mountains who no longer can. While we look at the, not the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things that are not seen are eternal. So we have to keep saying them to each other. We have to just keep comforting each other with this reality. Um, I entitled, uh, throw up that slide if you would, Jim. Or do whatever you like. <laughs> How can I fully trust God, when horribly bad things have happened to me and he didn't stop it when he could have. My favorite song right now is Even If by Bart Millard and Tim Timmons. Phew, man. Um, I know the sorrow, I know the hurt would all go away if you just say the word, but even if you don't, my hope is in you alone. hard slide, the next slide to read. God works through your trust. But if you're trusting God for a relatively suffering-free life as a condition of his goodness and love, you may rarely experience trusting him. So um, I want to give you this, something I rarely do, give you four points to something. It really slows down my style. But God did not create your suffering. God, it, God experiences your suffering. Maybe more than you do because he doesn't have any medication or self-defense. God repurposes your suffering. And God will resolve your suffering. Um, God did not create your suffering. I've got a lot of slides. For a man who had no slides last night, give balance, John. Is that so hard? Uh -oh. Give me the next slide, if you would. God never creates evil, ever. You and I allowed evil to spread on this planet, and the evil one uses that evil and attempts to destroy us. And God is choosing to reshape whatever evil is attempting to harm us. Ephesians 6 teaches this truth. Um, the evil one is shooting darts with a goal to destroy us, and God does this. Nope, that one will destroy my child. No, 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 that's not getting through. Wait, 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 wait. I could refashion this one. I'm going to let it through. For his best, for his glory, for beauty, 
this one I can refashion. Does it all day long. He is reshaping whatever evil is attempting to harm us. Next slide. Uh, real important. I hear it all the time. Well, God, you know, he's just trying to break me. Uh, we have to stop that language. God is not ever trying to break you. We are broken already. He is working every single moment to heal and restore us from that brokenness. This Christ in me, this righteous man, this holy man, this Christ in John man still carries generational stuff. He says, I'm working every single moment, kid, um, to destroy the power of that brokenness. So, um, next slide. God must work out his love for us on a broken, dying planet where sickness, pain, and suffering is the prevailing condition created by our race. All while evil is trying to convince you that God caused it and would stop all your suffering if he really loved you. So that's the challenge God has with us creatures because he wants to be trusted so he can protect us. But the evil one's saying, you can't trust such a one. See, God would want everyone to be healed. He proves it by creating a future world where this will be so. So when there's not healing for all, it's not because we have not asked enough or not good enough. There is something else in play. hear this all the time. You could have stopped it with a wave of your hand. You could have made it happen. Really? Really? Is, is the, the God who made the entire world, who made everything in it, who loves you so much that he thinks about you every single day, plans your whole world for the very best to happen to you, knows exactly what that will take, Really? Is that, he just forgot to wave his hand? Think, think, think about that. About a God who says, oh, man, that one got by me. <laughs> you know, I'm a little older now. <laughs> Back in the Old Testament, I could do things. I mean, I could blow things up. And, but I've lost a step. And, um, well, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, duck. <laughs> And that Satan fella, he is, whoa, he's spooky. I, 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 I'm scared right along with you. It's, it's, it's more than I can handle to be truthful with you. Come on. Come on. Who is your God? If it's not beautiful, then it's redemptive. Nothing's random. You're never being played. You don't remain unhealed because something is wrong with you. God is not creating your suffering to teach you something, although suffering will indeed teach you something. And a suffering-free life is not a reward for being a better person. Did you hear that? Because I'm not sure we always believe it. Um, 
It's not the absence of suffering, but the result of suffering, which is the ultimate proof and purpose of Christ in a believer. And I don't know where to put this. I just thought about putting this in the message this morning, so it may be way out of sequence. Uh, one day, I'm, I'm walking my dog, Bailey, and I don't usually talk to God like this, but I am in such pain and I'm in such limitation and I feel embarrassed and I feel like I'm losing um, my place at the table. I feel like I'm not gonna be on the road anymore and I feel like my wife doesn't know what to do with me and she's getting probably tired and exhausted of having to be in my world of limitation and I feel like the very things that I can do on this planet that I'm known for, that they're being taken away and who am I gonna be if I'm in a wheelchair just sitting in a corner with not much value and all my world starts to go away because the talents that I have are not now usable. And I said, God, I'm so scared. Help me. Help me. Tell me, will you, will you, I never ask for signs. I never ask for fleeces. I, I don't do that. I said, would you show me a sign? I'm so scared. Tell me that you've got me. Tell, tell me that my, that no matter what happens, that my life will not be worthless, that it'll still count. And I, um, I got home, I sat down and waited for a sign, and these birds were chirping up on a wire, chirping like never before. And I thought, yes, Lord, speak. Speak thine words through thine birds. <laughs> and then I realized that where they want to go to their nest is right behind me. They're just birds who are mad at me. God was saying, uh-uh, that was not me. So I just thought, okay, I just go about my life, and, and he doesn't play that way. And so I did some stuff, showered, got some keys in my pocket, and was ready to go out front. And I walk out my door, and within two feet of me is a hummingbird just directly staring at me. Zip, boom. And I, this is not something hummingbirds generally do to me or anyone in all mankind. And I know exactly in that moment what the hummingbird is doing. <laughs> Gosh, I don't, listen, I don't normally do this. I'm scared of you people. But God has chosen me from all creation to come and tell you that it's, it's going to be okay. He's got you. He's got you. He has some wonderful days ahead of you. I got to go. day, I absolutely believe that was God speaking to me, saying, I heard you. And he does it. He does it in ways that I don't get, and I didn't want to have my story be the hummingbird story, but it is. <laughs> I 
is God saying what he says in his word, I don't need your talent. I don't need your togetherness. I don't need your health. I love you. The very raw, basic John Lynch is more than enough. Uh, next slide. Perhaps not the slide I thought was coming up. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll take it. No, I'll go with it. Forget all these other notes of value. <laughs> There's nothing God can't do, but there are some things God does not do. And those things are always and only for a sacredly wise and loving purpose beyond description. So the second one that I don't think I've known all along. God experiences your suffering. Um, I told you about fifth grade. Fifth grade, a tough kid. Uh, one day, he didn't beat me up because I was funny. But one day, he said, you'll meet me down at the railroad tracks and in Upland, California. And there were these fruit cars, that oranges stacked, stacked high in these uh, rail cars. And the kids would go down there all week long. And we would just eat oranges all afternoon. Nobody had scurvy in our town. <laughs> and just, it was a beautiful thing. But on a Saturday, nobody was really there, and he knew it. And he said, let's get in the boxcar. And I went in ahead, and he went in after me and shut the top lid and sat back with a look that said, and everything will change for you now. And he violated me. And I, um, my boxcars are still there. When my family drives through on vacation, for the longest time, nobody even knew. I never told anyone. Um, anyway, people I've heard say, well, you know, I want you to be comforted by this, that Jesus was in that boxcar with you. And I go, I, 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 um, it eludes me how that that would be comforting to me. Try this. Um, Jesus, because, because I am fused with God, it's not just theological or theoretical, it is actual and essential. So what does that mean? Apparently, it means in some way Jesus experiences my neuropathy. He was not just in that boxcar with me, experienced the pain of that event. And he has your lupus, and he suffers the effects of your cancer and your wife or your husband's affair. And he suffers it with you. How? How he does that and shows up at, with a pinata at a fourth grader's birthday party and laughs hard, I don't know. But it's what he claims for himself. And that comforts me. That comforts me down to the very marrow. total capacity, an endless love, confronted with my absolute vulnerability and need, means that God suffers with me. I don't know how he do it. I just don't know how he does it. 
But that's what he claims. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he loves me. It is a fallen world. One day it will be redeemed, but right now the effects are going to hit you. And so in love, I choose to have them hit me too. And that's grace. That's the love of Christ. Deeper than I ever knew it existed. I thought he was just up there and was going to get me home someday. The fact that he would enter into the worst of my experience and say, I got you, kid. I got you. I'm in it with you. Gosh, Jesus. Jesus Christ, you are worthy of everything. You are worthy of my praise. You are worthy of me trusting you. God also repurposes your suffering. If Romans 8.28 is not in Scripture, I'm a mess. But it is in Scripture. God does, as we talked last night, causes all things to work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Not all things are good. Some things are horribly evil. But God causes all things. Are you kidding me? No, he can't. He says he does. God causes, come on, roll up on the Rolodex, the very worst thing. God causes that to work together for good for you kids. That's how much he loves you. That's inexhaustible love. God causes every single wicked, stupid, crazy, senseless thing to work to give you a life better even than if it had never happened. That is a powerful, big, beautiful, sacred, loving God. How crazy. He takes suffering and transforms it into something that could not be experienced any other way. And so I watch it in you guys. I've been watching it in you this whole time that we've been together. And some of you who would say, I've lost what I thought I had in capacity, talent, skill. Things went terribly wrong. You don't know. And listen to what he's been doing when, when we said... The inner man is being renewed day by day. Here's what's been happening in you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so we may be able to comfort those (coughs) who are in any affliction with comfort which we ourselves have been comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. If we're afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it's for your comfort, which is affected in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we suffer. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you share our suffering, you're sharing our comfort. It's what we were doing here few minutes ago in loving each other. That's what he's been doing in your heart. 
and it's greater than any talent I can possess, any gift I can have. I didn't know that. I didn't want that to be true. I, I think I don't know anyone worth knowing who has not been deeply affected by suffering in some significant way. Otherwise, they just bore me. So, Romans 5.3 says this incredible statement. And not only this, we also then exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation, suffering, uh, brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. Listen to that. Knowing that this stuff that makes no sense to me, it brings about perseverance. I discover about myself that I didn't leave. I'm still here. I stayed. God showed it to me, John, kid. And the very worst stuff that could be thrown at you, look what I'm doing. I'm causing you to be a man who stays and is faithful. Oh my gosh. And then perseverance, proven character. Proven to who? God? Like God already knows. Proven to you. This endurance that I find myself displaying, I go, well, would you look at me? I'm the real deal. I'm legit. Oh my gosh, this stuff works. God, you've taken narcissistic, self-centered John and given him proven character through my sufferings. And then proven character, hope. This is not just me talking to some God that doesn't do anything. You actually work actively, powerfully in my life. And you, you find yourself trusting me because of proven character. Oh my gosh, that's all I ever wanted. I wanted my kids. I wanted my wife. I wanted my friends. I wanted people when I, when I go speak that they would trust me so that my words wouldn't just be knowledge, but they, they could go into your heart. So, so that, he says, I'm sorry, that comes with suffering. And, and I want to be heroic and say, well, then bring the rain. No, I hate this. I want to be superficial and shallow, and I don't have to have integrity. If I could just have some pain go away, that's how I feel a lot of the time. But ultimately, I want this. This is what I was made for. And then God will resolve your suffering. Romans 8, 18 says, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's being to be real, uh, revealed to us. That, that translation always read a little hollow to me. It was like it was saying, hey, stop your whining. Heaven's great. Stop being so ungrateful. But if we extrapolate backwards and personally find ourselves in God's promises from the resurrection, it might read like this. Give me the next slide if you will, Jim. Is that it? Could you type one up then for me real quick? 
I've got like two more here. Um, well, that's it. Thank you very much. That verse might say, I promise you this, my child, the incomprehensible magnificent of magnificence of what is soon yours is so overwhelmingly overpowerful and, re and repurposing whatever suffering you've experienced that while discounting none of its pain or injustice, it will render the entire episode as if only unsurpassable beauty and indescribable joy had ever happened. Sign God. That is his promise to you. Keller writes, why does God allow evil and suffering? Look at the cross of Jesus. It can't be that he doesn't love us. It can't be that he's indifferent. God has been willing to breathe in every shred of evil death, sickness, and guilt permeates our entire beings. God's solution to suffering is to enter our experience and take the worst that life can offer, the very penalty that was ours by our choice to be our own master. I don't get it. He can, he can die on a cross and suffer on a cross, and three days later he's telling jokes to Mary as though he's the gardener. And this is true. And with this, I'm going to sit down. Um, in the book of Revelation, after all has been said and done, this statement is in there. In Revelation chapter 21, it says, um, Then I saw a new heaven. I saw a new earth. And the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there's no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God, made, made ready as a bride of, adorned for her husband. And then I, hmm, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. He's going to dwell amongst them now. And there'll be his people. In there. And God himself will be amongst them. 24-7, right next to them at the pie table, eating right along with them. That's in uh, the New International Version. <laughs> and then he says this, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will no longer be any death, there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And all I want to do is say the obvious of what that verse says. Do you realize what it says? I walk into heaven with tears. I walk into heaven with tears in my eyes. And I move into eternity and there's tears in my eyes. And the very first thing that happens is not God at the throne saying, come, come hence and worship thyself, and the elders will fall down on their knees. He does not send an angel. He himself, the very first thing I see, is him coming up to me, coming up to my face and wiping the tears out of my eyes. 
the living God himself. I hope, although it doesn't answer, I don't get it, I don't understand, I pray that this morning, let you see the character of God, that he makes no mistakes regarding you, he never plays you, he never says, oops, he's never disgusted with you, he's proud of you, he brags on you to the angels, he's got you, he's using this for redemptive good, he's turning you into the person that you already have been made. Gosh, this thing ends well. My brothers and my sisters, I barely know you and I love you, and so I'll pray this benediction over you. May the God who rose from the dead and defeated death itself, who has chosen to live inside of us and make us a new creature, Let us trust you. As I heard yesterday, not with what we think we need, but trust you for what you're doing in us. Oh gosh, thanks. We receive your love, God. We trust you with us. And sometimes it scares us and it causes us to run right back to you. And so this morning, a 65-year-old man says, I love you more than anything on this planet. How could that be? I trust you more than anyone on this planet. I enjoy you more than anyone on this planet. Father, let that be for every single one in this room. For those who haven't even put their hope in you yet, who are sitting there saying, I don't know. Let them hear the character of a God who adores them, who has seen every single moment, just like my story with Susan Sato. He was there long before I put my hope. And I give this sacred community to you. They are truly sacred, Father. Would you bless powerfully? Would you draw people in who are looking for health and life and grace and goodness, and truth, and vulnerability, and authenticity. Let Kansas City find this community that has been in private learning these truths. I give them to you in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen.